0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show was presented by Prevenex. Now, times are tough right now. And if you're like me, you're working from home, trying to balance a whole bunch of things, being a part-time teacher, chef playmate with your kids and work all at the same time it can be tough uh it's a lot to basically it's a lot to handle and it can be very stressful and it's just hard to keep up that energy so i wanted to talk to you about what i'm doing for my health you've heard me talk about prevenx before i love those guys their supplements have become a staple of my health regimen i've been taking their supplements now what for over uh, five months at this point, almost six months, the multivitamins, the minerals, antioxidant plus and joint health plus and a couple other things as well. I feel energized throughout the day. I'm sleeping better and I just feel healthier. It's giving me a great boost to my immune system as well. Obviously, I can't feel that, but I know that because they are scientifically proven in everything they do. And shoot, I wouldn't be representing them if I didn't completely believe it. I just can't recommend them strongly enough. And for you to feel the same benefits that I'm feeling, go to Prevnex.com. That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com and use code RUNNER15 to save 15% on your first purchase. Best of all, 100% money back guarantee. So if you don't love them as much as I do, just fire them back. And you're good to go. So today's episode is with Dr. Tommy Martin. Talk about somebody who can simply do it all. I couldn't wait to talk to him. I knew or I know what Tommy has done recently as an athlete. And it simply is extraordinary. He is you know, a really, really good runner, triathlete also going through doing all the work you have to do to become a doctor. He's basically, you know, like on the final step of the education process. So he's officially a doctor and he's basically almost to the point where he's completely out on his own. In addition to that, since we've recorded the podcast, he's also now A new father. So Tommy has so much on his plate, and I couldn't wait to talk to him not only because he does all of those things, but he does it with so much energy and enthusiasm. If I did a quarter of what Tommy does, I'd be face down in the mud for twelve straight hours. I mean I feel like I live a busy life. It's nothing compared to this man. And since everyone who listens to this show also has very busy lives, us dedicated amateur runners, I couldn't wait to have him on the show to talk about it. So without further ado. Here is Dr. Tommy Martin. All right, we're welcoming in Dr. Tommy Martin. Tommy, thanks for hopping on the show.
1: Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, definitely an honor to be able to be on the podcast with you.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, man. You're someone who is like every time I'm clicking through the things that you're doing, I just – I get this inferiority complex <laughs> <around>
1: it. <laughs> oh my it. You
0: goodness. are doing so much athletically, uh, professionally. You know, you got now your, your, your wonderful wife. Now you guys got a baby on the way, which is really exciting. So many things are going on in your life, and you are an incredible athlete. Um, you know, with your triathlon background, you're running and all this stuff. I guess it really is truly incredible. So I'm so excited to get you on here. I guess first things first because I just want to go chronological with you because you have really done so much in so little time when did the athletic side of you really start to to kind of start to bloom for you like when did you start really taking to athletics
1: Yeah, so, you know, growing up, I always loved sports. I'd say, like, in elementary school, I was from a tiny town in southern Missouri, and football was everything, and it's still everything in that town. And so, from a very young age, I loved football and wanted to be good at football. So, I started playing in the third grade, and then I started lifting weights in probably the fifth grade at our school. And then, so, growing up, like, throughout high school, I played football, basketball, and baseball. And if I'm completely honest, I was never very athletic, like whatsoever. I wasn't very fast. Um, I wasn't all that strong, but I worked extremely, extremely hard. And so um, by the grace of God, uh, throughout high school, I was able to do well and then went and played college football at a small college in Kansas. And so this is a kind of a funny part of my story. And I hope I'll send this to my football coach so he could hear this um, <laughs> one day. But so when I was uh, my first day of college football practice and a new defensive coordinator got signed on, he came up to me and was like, um, What's your name? I was like, Oh, hey, coach, my name's Tommy. Like, so nice to meet you. And uh, he was like, You're the most unathletic person I have ever seen in my entire life. You will never step foot on my football field. Oh, <laughs> and so, God. yeah, and th- that was like, you know, like I was like jacked out of my face to even be on the football team. Um, and then that's what he tells me like day one of practice. And so obviously I was like shattered by that, but it just motivated me to work, you know, extremely hard. And so I'd say that's kind of my background and where I got into just athletics in general and then through that coach who him and I became best friends um, he helped me become so much faster so much stronger and just I think he helped form me into the athlete that I became and also helped me to fall in love with lifting um, weights and so I I know um, you know a lot about my running and uh, triathlon stuff but that actually came on quite a bit later
0: so was that just like a bit that he did with, with young freshmen to see like if they how they would react or like what was the what was the genesis of like him saying like such such an outlandish thing to somebody?
1: Uh, and you know, if I'm honest, it's because it was true. If you like if when you go look at like college football stats, um a lot of it is based off like combine times. And so that'd be like how fast you could run a forty yard dash, um, how high you could jump, how many times you could bench press, um, you know, 225 pounds. And if you looked at all my numbers as a freshman, they were horrendous. They were so bad. But in high school, I was able to do well because I would study the opponent's game tape endless, like for endless hours. Um, I would make sure my form was absolutely perfect. I would never have a misstep or things like that because I didn't have that ath- gifted athletic ability. So I just worked extremely hard. So I will not say that the insult was unmerited. I do think it was probably true. Um, but with my work ethic, he helped all of those things, um, you know, get a lot better. And so I'm very thankful for him, even though he, The first impression was not very good.
0: (laughs) Well, when you heard that, what made you think, you know what, I'm going to stick with this or, you know, whatever. Like basically you you took it in the other direction because obviously you guys had this bond now and you continued to play. You could have easily gone the other direction potentially and just been like, well, hey, man, he's the coach and not even been bitter about it and been like, well, you know, what do I know? Like that guy's the coach. And if he says it, if he says it it must be true, you know, ho-hum, I guess I'll not play football anymore.
1: Yeah, and you know, I think a lot of it would be from my upbringing. And also, um, I truly believe that, you know, nothing is given in life and that we have to work with all of our hearts. So there's a couple things. And so, one would be growing up, um, I believe I was taught a very strong worth ethic from my parents. We grew up, we didn't have a lot of money, and I, Saw my mom work extremely, extremely hard, hard labor jobs. She'd work from, you know, sunrise to sunset and would come home just covered in black and grease, uh, making a living for our family. So I learned hard work and dedication from her and my dad. And then to see them ha- later have success, I saw coming from nothing and reaping the reward of your hard work. And then the same thing in high school. I was never the smartest, um, but I studied my butt off. I always got made fun of for taking my biology books with me to football games or basketball games because I wasn't wasn't the smartest, but I wanted to get a full ride to college. And so I think a hard work ethic and work ethic in general was just kind of like ingrained in me. And regardless of what anybody else said, I was going to work my butt off, give it 110% and make whatever my goals or dreams are happen.
0: So when your parents were working crazy hours like that, what did that mean for you in terms of basically like unstructured time after school. And I don't know if you have siblings, but like how, you know, you have you have that set up. Oftentimes you hear like two polarizing stories, right? You have the kids who did what you did, right? They, they took that example and they made the most of it. And you have other kids who are like, hey, like my parents are, you know, they, they're preoccupied and I'm going to go run amok and kind of see what I can get into.
1: Yeah, uh, for sure. And so I would say that a lot of this would come from my grandmother who was able to get my sisters and I into church at a young uh, uh, young age. And for those uh, people that attend church or that believe in God, um, I believe that he is the sole source of my ability to stay on track going through a lot of, and there's a lot of other personal things that went on with my family, but to stay on the straight and narrow, and then also learning scripture at a young age. Um, there's a scripture that stuck with me forever. And that is that our life is a vapor in the wind meaning that it's forever fleeting. It can be gone in a second. And so knowing that even at a young age, I knew that I had to give it 110% in everything I did, whether it's brushing my teeth, walking my dog or going to school, whatever it was, I was going to give it everything I had because I didn't know if, you know, the next second would be over.
0: So were you one of those kids who were like really type A about it or was it something that you (laughs) kind of kept to yourself? I was very type A about it. Yeah, definitely. And how did that affect you know and not that had to have a big effect but how did that affect like you know your friendships and things like that you know sometimes when you have these those kids you know those type a kids who are really hard drivers you know there's certain you know again not that every school is the same but i think it's you know it's a you know it's a generalization for a reason because there's certainly a lot of truth in it where like if you're seen as like trying too hard as a kid like that's kind of frowned upon, right? It's like that cool, easy success is like the thing that people strive for. Whereas like the grinders, there's like an inherently like less appealing part of that process when you're younger.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I saw both sides of it. You know, you definitely see uh, people who are on one side of it and like, give me a really hard time for always studying, like literally always studying and always you know, working as hard as I could or getting mad if I made a 98% instead of a 100%, Um, which in the grand scheme of things, you know, like that doesn't matter. But like I was so type A, like I was saying. And so I think there was two sides of it, people that really respected it and said, you know, he's not the smartest, he's not the most athletic, but he's going to put in the hard work. And so some people that would be encouraged and inspired by it, someone that may not have all the tools in their toolbox, but are willing to work, to achieve, you know, the goals that they have. And then there's the people on the other side of it, like you're saying, um, that I think I probably did upset and that were not necessarily mean to me. Cause I would say that I got along with pretty much everyone in school, um, but would give me a hard time about it. So, you know, there's both sides of it.
0: Now you've described yourself both academically and athletically as not very talented or gifted. Why, where were you, you know, what grounds you in that belief?
1: you know, i think solely because of the work that i would in you, you know i guess you can make the argument maybe i didn't have good study habits and so i had to study more with inefficient study habits to do well in school but i would say i would say because of the amount of work that i put in to be even with or um slightly above my colleagues you know so instead of maybe needing to study for 30 minutes i'd study for 2 hours or Maybe, you know, instead of just showing up to practice and being good, I would show up an hour before practice and stay after practice for two hours and do an extra session of weights um, just to be on par with or hopefully, you know, g- get ahead.
0: So before you got to college, you mentioned already that you know your folks, especially your mom, was someone who you viewed as a mentor and someone that you really learned a lot from and modeled different parts of your life after Was there anyone else that you viewed in that same light?
1: Yeah. You you know, I think through our time, like going through your life, there's a lot of people that come in and out of your life uh, that uh, kind of are a role model for you. And so my mom, she still continues to be one all throughout my life. Like there's been things that happened to my family all along the way that she just continues to be a huge role model uh, for me. Um, And then my faith, obviously, that is another area. But then in college, that coach that I told you about. (laughs) Uh, That gave me a hard time on day one. He was honestly probably that uh, throughout college. And why is because we really got to know each other. I got to learn his story, hear about hardships that he's been able to overcome and uh, kind of his whole process to life and his whole thought process to life. And it was the same thing, you know, just to every single day, day in and day out, regardless of the hand that you're dealt with, give it your all. Like do not have a chip on your shoulder. It doesn't matter. Whatever hand it is that you're dealt with, that's what you have. And you make what you want of it. And so I'd say in college, it was him. Uh, and then throughout medical school, there's been multiple mentors I've had. And then since getting out of medical school and now that I'm uh, you know, a doctor in, in residency, in terms of fitness, there's been a lot of – uh, people. So like Ross Edgley is a huge inspiration. I don't know if you guys know who he is. Nick Bear is another huge inspiration uh, to me. And so th- there's quite a few, I'd say other people. So I think there's always someone in line uh, that I get motivation from for sure.
0: You said something interesting there that oftentimes I wouldn't expect someone to say with your approach and work ethic is that the person you know the coach that you worked with in college advised you not to have a chip on your shoulder. I think for so many people who view themselves as grinders or underdogs, that chip on their shoulder can oftentimes be like a driving force for them. Why do you think that you were advised not to have that?
1: You yeah, I think it's because this coach and him and I kind of had the same mindset is like a lot of people that have a chip on their shoulders because they think that they deserve something that they're ex that they have something that they're expected to have. And if they don't get it, that's wrong. But we kind of have the mindset that no, we don't deserve or we don't expect to get anything. Like we've been given a life and it's up to us to live it to the fullest and make what we want of it. So nothing, nothing handed to us. We don't deserve anything, but what we do have is a life that's been given it to us and we have a duty to live it out to the fullest and to make what we want out of it.
0: Interesting. And I can see how that would align with your faith in terms of if you're not making the most of your life, you're not only doing yourself injustice, but God as well.
1: Yeah, You know, and if I'm completely honest, I'd say, yeah, for sure. My faith drives, I'd say majority of the, or hopefully would drive the majority of the things that I do. And, you know, in scripture, it does say that, um, in all things that we do, we should do them as if we're glorifying God or doing them for the glory of God. And, you know, earlier I said about brushing our teeth and walking our dog. Like, I truly believe that. Like my wife all the time tells me like, Tommy, you're just brushing your teeth. Like, you don't have to do it that hard. Like, just calm down. <laughs> like you're brushing your teeth. It's fine. But like in everything I do, I, I kind of do it to extremes.
0: And that's interesting because that's one of those beliefs that cuts across a lot of different religions, right? I mean, the one that first comes to mind you, you, you talk about Buddhism and mindfulness. You know, they might take God out of that sentence, but their their approach to living in the moment and making sure that you are fully focused and finding something spiritual within a daily practice, no matter what it is, aligns with exactly what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, even people who may be listening that aren't religious, I think, you know, that this is still things that they could apply to their life. You know, like it is so true that we don't know when our last second is. You know, religious or not religion, religious, we don't know when that is. Like we could get hit by a car, we could be diagnosed with cancer. There's so many other things that could happen in this world that, like, you owe it to yourself to live your life to the fullest And, and what that means to you, you know, not based off anybody else's standards, just your standards.
0: Yet you have a lot going on in your life. So what do you do to make sure that you stay in the moment without, you know, falling victim to either multitasking or constantly like thinking about the next thing on your agenda or your schedule?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say I'm great at it by no means. (laughs) Just because I, like you said, I do a lot of different things. And so I usually am multitasking quite often, but one thing that I do every single day is that I have a pretty set schedule, something that I like to call my unshakable or unbreakable schedule, and I follow that every single day. Um I'd say at least 90% of the time uh, throughout the year. And what that looks like is waking up at 4 a.m., um, going to bed at 9 p.m., 4 a.m. to like 5 a.m., Bible studying, coffee, journaling, writing out goals, writing out affirmations, 5 to 6 a.m., um, working oh, can out. can we stop there? Yeah, of course.
0: Let's let's take deep dives into these hours. Um, let's do all it. All right. So so you're so you're getting roughly night roughly seven hours of sleep. Obviously, like you go to bed at night, just not as if like you're necessarily falling asleep the minute you walk, you know, minute you slide into bed. But roughly seven hours of sleep, which is obviously something that's you know a lot of people, you know, especially the people who have busy lives are like, man, I wish I wish I could, you know was dedicated enough to get that. So you wake up, you have that hour of you know self reflective time. What exactly are you doing within an hour? How do you structure it? And when you say Bible study and journaling, what exactly does that look like?
1: Yeah, so four o'clock, first things first, I hit the coffee pot and make sure coffee's running ASAP. Um, and get some coffee going. And then um, right now I would Bible study. And so what that means for me is looking through different scriptures. Uh, so right now I'm in first Timothy. Uh, and so I'd read through some uh, some of that and do some prayer on that. And then I'm also reading a parenting book right now, as we talked about a little bit that we're about to be expecting our beautiful boy into this world like next week. Um, so I'm reading a parenting book that kind of goes along with that. Um, once I get in with those two things, I have a journal. And in this journal, um, I write out three affirmations and these are three things that maybe I have low self-confidence about, or maybe that I feel bad about myself about. And we'll write, um, so one example, um, when I was trying to do an Ironman, or when I was training to compete, to do an Ironman, um, I like had so, so many doubts about swimming and that I was such a terrible swimmer. And so what I did throughout those 16 weeks of training for my first triathlon is every single morning I wrote... I may not be a good swimmer, but I will train enough to become a good swimmer or something along those lines um, or that... Um, I'm a better swimmer than I give myself credit for or something like that. And I'd write that every single morning. And so I write three affirmations about myself. And then I write three um, positive things about my wife. Um, And this could be that, you know, I love the way her hair looked yesterday, or I love her smile or something about her that I write as well. And then I usually um, try to write a couple of prayers down for my family members. Um, And then after that, I have a to-do list of like absolutely 100% necessary things that need done that day. And I make sure to write those down. Um, And then after that, I have like three or four items that would be awesome if I get them done. But if I don't get them done, it's not the end of the world.
0: Got it. All right. So for the Bible study piece, are you working through like a devotional or do you just kind of segment it however you feel?
1: So right. I try to read the Bible um, completely through every year. Um, so depending where I start at would determine where I'm at right now. Um, so I just read through the Bible. Um, we'll take some time. A lot of times I'll have like a study Bible open on my iPad, um, that I could read along with as well. Uh, and then so I'll go through the Bible in a year.
0: All right. So then that's your first hour. A lot in that hour, obviously a lot of self, uh, a lot of introspection, and a lot of time thinking about you know your place amongst you know the people who you love and the things that are important to you. So what do you what do you do once you hit the five o'clock hour?
1: Yeah. So once usually so. Within that, I usually have had a cup of coffee around four thirty-five ish. I'll have pre-workout, um, just some more caffeine to get me energized for my workout. And then usually five o'clock, and depending on what rotation I'm in during residency or what hours I have to work at the hospital, I'll either work out from five to six. It could be five to seven. Um, it could be five to seven thirty, just depending what I have to do before then. And then I'll get after the workout. I'll get ready for work and go to work.
0: Got it. Okay, so let's talk about. Your conversion from being a college football player again might have been small school. Who who cares, right? Like you're you're devoting a lot of your college life to doing that. You're now in extreme endurance sports. Uh, I should maybe not extreme might not be the the right word, but you know heavy duty endurance sports. You're an Ironman triathlete. <laughs> you're a marathoner. You know these are considerable endeavors, which. Really have almost no connection to your college athletics. So when did when did this start to become something that you wanted to endeavor towards, especially in light of your build, which is atypical, right? So if anyone hasn't seen a picture of you, I'd advise them to do so. You are – Without question, the biggest guy I know who is capable of running a three-hour marathon probably outrun – you probably have about 30 to 40 pounds. A lot of the guys that finish in and around you who are the same height as you. So you've taken on this mantle of endurance athlete while not shedding the strength that allowed you to be a college football player to begin with.
1: Well, thank you. I don't know if I can live up to everything you just said, but thank you so much. Um, So (laughs) – Honestly, I had never really ran more than what we had to in football before I met my wife. All right. And so my wife says that the morning that I met her, it was 5 a.m. in the gym. She says that I said that if she would work out with me, I would go on a run with her. Now, I don't know if I believe that just because like I hated running. Like I didn't like it. At all. Like, I would only run if, like, an animal was chasing me or if there was, like, a burger challenge somewhere. Like, that's the only time I'd be running. Um, but so, anyway, on our first date, we decided to go for a run and we ran 10 miles. And, I had, after that run, so I show up in a cotton shirt, cotton cutoff shirt, baggy shorts, and like five-year-old shoes that my pinky toe was poking out of the side of, and so definitely not ready to run 10 miles, and she's like, you're wearing that? I'm like, oh yeah, these are my lucky shoes, you know, this is my favorite shirt, let's do it, and I didn't know we were running 10 miles, Uh, so we run 10 miles at like a nine-minute pace. After that, I couldn't walk for a week. Um, I think I had a stress fracture in my foot. It was miserable. Um, but that was kind of the start of it. And then from there, uh, I decided to run with her occasionally, you know, like when we had a break from studying, I'd run a mile with her or run two miles with her. And then one day after, um, our, so we went to medical school in the Caribbean after that, there's one day I was like, you know what? I'm just going to run. I'm just going to run and see what happens. And so I ran as hard as I could for as long as I could. And I ran 17 miles and i ran it at a 717 pace and it was terrible like i felt so bad my body was destroyed and then i told her father who's done like nine ironman and a lot of marathons he's like tommy i think you could be i i think you could be decent at this and so that was kind of the start of it
0: yeah i mean you were flying i mean 17 miles at that pace is ridiculous i have to ask Your ten mile first date was she just trying to get rid of you? Like, what was the (laughs) what was the impetus behind dragging you out for ten miles without giving you a heads up first?
1: I have no well, so I don't know. I I honestly can't remember the conversation. I don't know if I maybe led her to believe that I'd ran a little bit or something. Um, I I wouldn't think I would do that. Maybe to make sure she'd go on a date with me. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was it was so bad. (laughs) All
0: right, so. First of all, I guess I didn't say first of all because I've already asked you so many questions, but you just kind of dropped in there that you went to medical school in the Caribbean. Can you flesh that out for me a little bit?
1: Oh, yeah. Sorry. I just threw that in. So my uh, I graduated undergrad in three years uh, I because I was like soul set on becoming a doctor as soon as possible. So I finished undergrad in three years, played three years of college football. I did not do well on the MCAT, and so when I was applying to medical schools, I applied to a Caribbean medical school, and I got into St. George's University, and I went there to do my basic sciences, so two years of book work, and during that time, I met my beautiful wife, Phoebe, and then we do our two years of clinicals back in the United States, And then the process after that, after your medical school years, once you graduate medical school, then you have to, it's called match into residency where you apply to a lot of places. And then her and I matched into the University of Arkansas where we're currently uh, practicing. She's doing pediatrics and I'm doing med-peds.
0: Okay. And what was the reason that you wanted to pursue medicine?
1: This is pretty deep, (laughs) but I'll give you guys kind of a short synopsis of it. Um, So before deciding on medicine, I was dead set on being a teacher and a coach. Um, I was pretty sold that that's what I wanted to do. And when I was younger, when I was about 12, maybe 13 years old, I used to Um, maybe a little older, maybe 14, I would work with children with autism, um, kind of be like a mentor or a big brother um, to them. And during one of those visits, a woman had told me um, that she wanted me to record something on my phone. So I did. And she told me that she thought it was God's plans for me to become a doctor and to heal people in many nations. Um, I didn't really think anything of it, kind of thought she was a little crazy and didn't pay any attention to it and went on with my life to be a teacher and a coach. Well, my senior year of high school, I went on a mission trip. On that mission trip, a pastor there um, prayed over me and said the same things. When I got back home, my uncle had bought a new laptop for me. I transferred old audio files onto my new laptop. And when I did, there was an audio file from that woman. And I listened to that and uh, it's just like everything clicked. I'm like, wow, I'm not supposed to be the teacher and a coach. I'm supposed to be a doctor and this is what I'm going to pursue. And so from that day forward, I decided I was going to be a doctor and it has aligned with my mentality in everything. And I come to see that all of my work with children with autism, with working at youth centers, with doing all these other things aligned with becoming a doctor.
0: And as you've mentioned many times before, you know, you're academic prowess was something that you geared much more towards your work ethic than some sort of natural proclivity for academic work. So when you made this shift, what was that like for you in terms of coming to grips with like, okay, I now am trying to enter a field that may be one of the most demanding academically uh, available to me?
1: Yeah, I kind of had the same mindset, you know, that I don't know if I could do this, um, if it's God's plan's for me, he'll make it work and I will work as hard as I can to make sure it happens. And so in undergrad, I was able to do well. I was able to make good grades while playing football and work a couple of different jobs. Um, but I spent absurd amount of hours studying. But with that, I didn't study for the MCAT, and it ended up doing very, very, very poor on the MCAT. And for listeners that may not know, the MCAT is the exam that you have to take to get into medical school. And you need a competitive score to go to a U.S. medical school. And so I didn't make a good score, and so I ended up going to St. George's University.
0: Yeah, people study you know, for a year for that exam, and it's not, you know, not, not dissimilar from people studying for the LSAT. We want to go into law school? Exactly. Um, all right. Well, so so you get to that point. Obviously, you're know, becoming a doctor is like saying that you want to be an athlete. It's like, okay, well, what sport? <laughs> right. So you know, when you're like, all right, I want to be a doctor. What fields were you considering?
1: You. Initially, I was dead set on being a surgeon. Uh, My wife and I both actually were dead set on being a surgeon. um, And that later came out that I did not believe that was the plans for me. And I decided to not be not to do surgery and to do internal medicine and pediatrics. So that's a combined residency in which when I'm done, I'll be completely board certified in internal medicine and completely board certified in pediatrics.
0: Got it. And what led you to that decision?
1: Yeah, this is an um, another. I th- I feel like all of my testimonies in my life you're pulling out of me on this podcast, which I think is great, and I'm happy to share with you guys. Um, but so this is another testimony of like how I got into becoming uh, to do medpeeds. But so and I, I, obviously I cannot use names or diagnoses or anything like that. But when I was on my surgery rotation in medical school. Uh, It was like 4 a.m. We always rounded crazy early and we went into this room of this patient who uh, we were going to do a biopsy on for potential of cancer. And when we walked in the room, you know, the chief residents told this patient that and I could tell that this patient was broken, uh, that they needed more than that, that they needed more time. Um, But we had to be in the OR after rounding on all the patients. So the surgeons didn't have time to stick around and to talk with the patient. And so I asked if I could. And I saw that this patient was wearing a cross around their neck. And so I asked if I could pray with this patient. They said yes. And so we prayed together. And then after that, I forgot all about it. Um, I still was kind of on the mindset of doing surgery. About three months later, I was on my internal medicine rotation. And I get a call from an oncologist to go to his office and when I go to his office, he told me to go into this room, and I didn't know exactly what was going on. And when I went into this room, um, this patient had said, it's you, it's you, the angel that God had sent me. Um, and you know, I just broke down into tears. And from that day forward, I knew that I needed a career in which I could spend as much time as I wanted at the bedside. And I'm not in anybody that's listening, that is a surgeon. I'm not saying that you cannot do that. I just know that the demands of a surgery lifestyle can be very hard and there's nothing wrong with that. And there's, you know, amazing, amazing surgeons that can still make that extra time to be at the bedside. But for me, I just thought that that would be the best field for me.
0: Yeah. And I don't think anyone would view that negatively. Obviously with every, with every professional choice, there are trade-offs to be made and you can't be all things to all people. Um, especially with a you know job that's you know very time intensive and demanding in so many respects. and it's it's you know good on you to to kind of recognize the things not only um, there were potential factors in your decision that you that you talked about, but also you know the things that you personally are you know gravitated towards, which obviously can play a huge part in all of this stuff. And you know I've had Stephanie Flippin on the podcast many times and she's an ankle surgeon and and she's someone who you know, Just like you, kind of later on in her life, really came to uh, love the idea of becoming an endurance athlete. And for her, a lot of that coincided with her time in medical school, which, as we all know, is a very, very time intensive and demanding um, schooling to sort of pick up endurance sports during that time. Can really be tough, not only from a a time perspective, but also like recovery, because you can't just be like, all right, just <laughs> finish my long run. I'm just gonna chill out for a bit here. I guess in three hours on the couch and try to recover. Like, you got a lot of stuff going on, man. So talk to me about juggling both of those things once you kind of got kind of got moving from an endurance athlete perspective.
1: Yeah, and so um, and just to kind of fill in the gap a little bit uh, from where we were earlier after that day that I decided to run 17 miles or whatever. And then where I got into endurance sports. Um, so that day, um, I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to run then. And so I decided to sign up for a marathon in 12 weeks. And my goal was to qualify for Boston in 12 weeks. Um, and so I trained my butt off, um, worked as hard as I could and ran a marathon and, um, it went well. And then from that day forward, I decided I was going to run a lot and I was going to run a marathon with a 20 pound vest, a marathon with a 40 pound vest, and then run an ultra marathon and then get into Ironman and, (laughs) and, and all that was within like a year. And what you're saying, um, about the other guests that you had on the show is that like with this coinciding with medicine and how to kind of make that work. And, you know, you're at the hospital and you're working these long hours and it is stressful and it is hard. Um, but with all of those times and how difficult it is, the rewards you reap of that, um, you know, being with patients and uh, hearing them tell you that you made a difference in their life and all of the hard work that you put, you reap incredible rewards. Well, I feel the exact same way with endurance sports. Like all of the struggle that you go through to run a 20-miler or to ride a 100-miler, like all that suffering and all of that work that you're putting in, the rewards that you reap are so worth it. And not only that, you um, – you're able to release so much stress from the hospital or from your work life or things into the sport that it is just like, it's serene. It's it's a very peaceful, but yet suffering time that I think not only does, I think it helps you get through the process of medical school or being a doctor or whatever it is that you're in, in life. And part of that's because it's my hobbies and it's things that I love to do. But
0: in for a dime in for a dollar <laughs> like all right, I wanna, I'm gonna get to I want to qualify for Boston in 12 weeks and now I want to run a marathon with a small animal attached to my back or whatever <laughs> you're doing I' it's like this is insane all right so there's so many things to talk about here first of all have you always just been a high energy person? in terms of, I said, I talk about this a lot on this, on this podcast. There's a lot of different kinds of talents in the world and people can be talented and genetics can play a part in performance, obviously. And I feel like one of the talents that often gets overlooked is some people just have in this innate innate energy level. And a person on this show who's a wonderful example of this has been Sarah Bishop, who's been on this show in the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast many times. She just has this a seemingly endless well of energy. And, you know, and, and my mother in law is a great example of this. My mother in law can sleep four hours a night for 30 years. <laughs> she never looks tired and, like, you know, has achieved amazing things in her life and her whole family is like that. Are you someone who kind of fit that bill as well?
1: I would say so. Yeah, definitely. And I'm also someone that can go off very little sleep, although I would never recommend people getting less than seven hours. And I'm the biggest hypocrite because there's many times that I get less than seven hours. But I do believe that seven hours is needed for everything. But yeah, I would say that I'm that type of person that – you know, and it also depends. You know, like I would like to say I'm high energy all the time, but I am definitely an extrovert. So I get energy from people, you know, and so talking with people, uh, inspire, trying to inspire people, motivating people, um, helping people, doing things around people gives me energy and feeds me with energy. Um, whereas if you leave me alone um, by myself, I'm, I, I'm actually still pretty energetic, but probably not as energetic as what I would be around people. So yeah, I would say that that is my innate personality, definitely
0: all right let's talk about staying healthy because what you just described is something that for a lot of people, if they had tried to do what you did in that calendar year, you know <laughs> they would be in some serious <laughs> trouble um you know I'm sure as a doctor, you would not necessarily prescribe you know your never you know, how you approached endurance sports to another person. So what do you think led you down this path in a way that's been sustainable and not debilitating?
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, So I would say there's a couple different things. Um, One would be progressive overload. And for the people that may not know that terminology, all that means is increasing load or increasing work over time in a steady manner um, to make sure that you do not get injured by overloading your body. And so what that looked like for me, um, for my 12 weeks of trying to qualify for Boston is that I increased my mileage by 20% until I was running. I think I got – I can't remember how many miles I was running when I started, um, but then I got to where I was running 60 to 70 miles a week uh, right before my taper week to Boston or to try to qualify for Boston. And then after that, um, I decided to run with a 20-pound vest. And so what I did is I kept my mileage the same, which was 60 miles a week. And what I would do is add two pounds on of my body. Um, and then the next week I would increase to four pounds. The next week I increased to six pounds. And then once I got to 10 pounds, I would increase by 20% of the weight every single week until I got to 20 pounds. And then until I got to 40 pounds. Now, what I would do is I'd keep my speed pretty uh, stable, pretty much the same. I'd also keep the elevation the same. And why is because you could really only progressive overload by about 20% overall, I would say in most aspects. Whereas if you try to do 20%, 20% of the weight, 20% of the speed, 20% of the elevation, if you try to do all those, you're going to get injured. And so I had a giant journal to help me track this over time and to make sure I didn't get injured. And then about every fourth or fifth week, I would take a deload week where I'd cut the weight in half and cut my mileage in half to have a recovery week.
0: So why, why incorporate the weighted vest at all? That's a great
1: question. I think everyone asks me that. And so um, I wanted to train with my wife. I wanted to be able to run with her. We do not have much time outside of work. And so I wanted to be able to spend the time doing something that she loves, which is running. I wanted to spend this time with her, um, but still be able to improve myself. And so with the addition of weight, it would slow me down. Um, but Although it slow me down, it would help me keep my strength but also increase my VO2 max by adding uh, weight um, over your chest cavity. And so in doing so, I think I was able to improve my performance while slowing myself down enough to be able to run with her and train her while she's improving.
0: Oh, interesting. So this was almost like a problem-solving mechanism for you as opposed to like purely an athletic decision.
1: I would love to say that it was 100% – reason to be with my wife. And I think at least 75% of it was, but there's, of course, there's definitely some selfish desires in there too. I was like, how cool would it be to run a marathon with a 20 pound vest? And then how cool would it be to run a marathon with a 40 pound vest? Um, And so there was definitely part of me that wanted to achieve that as well. um, But a lot of it did have to do with training for her and trying to help her qualify
0: for Boston as well. So you originally had a time goal that was attached to the Boston Marathon, like every like, like all Boston marathon qualifiers, those are part and parcel with each other. Once that occurred, um what were some other time goals or other big goals that you wanted to achieve besides just like doing a marathon with these with these weighted vests?
1: You know, I didn't have so my goals kind of outlined for that year um, was to qualify for Boston. And so I ended up running a three hundred four fifty eight, and uh, that was my first marathon. That was actually my first road race. Um, but I had to run. That was your a first th- race. Yeah.
0: Oh my god! Hold on. I I had to throw a question in there. Then how did you how did you do from a pacing perspective? Because pacing for a marathon can be hard for even experienced runners because you go into this thing with so much you know. So much like potential energy stored up in your body and it can be hard not to go out too fast. How did you handle that?
1: So I'm like obsessive about everything that I do. And so I had studied it a ton and read a ton about it. And so I think I did very well pacing myself. I was able to negative split, um, the marathon, but I think I probably held too much back, like held too much in the tank. Um, so my fastest miles by like 30 seconds or maybe 25 seconds were the last three miles. Um, and so I think that I probably, I don't think I did a good job pacing myself because I think I left some in the tank, I would say. Um, but I had to run a 305 and I ran a 304.58. Um, and to run Boston that year, I think you had to run a 303 after so many people qualified and things. And so I didn't get to run Boston, the end of the story. (laughs) So that stunk, but it's part of it.
0: Okay, all right, so you did that. And then what were some of the things after your boss and Charles qualifier that you that was kind of spurred you on moving forward?
1: Yeah, the next goal was to run a marathon with a 20-pound vest. I did that at Disney um with my wife. The next goal was to run a marathon with a 40-pound vest. I did and to break four hours with a 40-pound vest. Um I think I ran a 347 um with a 40-pound vest. And then after that, my next goal was to run an ultra marathon, and I ran a fifty k later that year. And then after that, I, this now leads into my intern year of residency. My goal was to train for an Ironman during what most people would say would be the hardest part of the medical journey, which be would you which would be intern year. And the goal behind that was to show that you could stay healthy. Stay fit and still be a doctor. And the way I wanted to do that would be by doing what some people would say would be one of the harder things to accomplish in fitness. Um, and so I decided to train for 16 weeks for an Ironman. And um, I did that at Ironman Texas. Uh, and then after Ironman Texas, I trained for Ironman, half Ironman Waco. Sorry, I could stop for a second and let you ask me anything no, I want to dive month. in there
0: because you, you just talked about how you wanted to show people that they could do these athletic ventures while also having an, an immense academic load uh, in medical school during that time. So what about having this now, this, this kind of this external goal, this subjective goal um, that, you know, you're basically relying on other people's reactions to your actions, which is far different than some of the goals you'd had in the past of like, you know, not having a chip on your shoulder and, you know, all of these things which are very much self-contained um, revolving around your own experience in life and what you want to accomplish for yourself all of a sudden you're making you know the most kind of extreme external goals of my goals to kind of inspire and inform other people what was that like in terms of trying to achieve a goal which can be so difficult to measure
1: you know i don't know if i have been able to measure it um my hopes would be that and you know I would say like, I don't think there is a way to measure that. I do, you know, get messages on Instagram or things like that of people saying that and ask for advice and help. And I think that's been the most rewarding thing is that once people saw that I was able to do it, um, shooting me a message me and asking me how, and then I share with them my unshakable or unbreakable schedule. I share with them my um, workout routines and my Ironman training and um, my sleep habits and what I eat throughout the day. And so I think it I, I do not think I've been able to measure that, but I do think I've saw I've been able to reap rewards of helping other people through it, if that makes sense.
0: And I think about the schedule that you must have had to keep during that time. Obviously, the biggest thing there is time on the bike, because for any triathlete, that's the biggest time suck of all. Of all, so how were you able to make that work in within your schedule?
1: By having a very loving. Gracious and supportive wife. That is the only way it would have been possible. Uh, Because you're right, it takes absurd amount of hours. You know, like when you go for a six hour bike ride and a hour and a half hour or one and a half hour run. So that's seven and a half hours after working, say a ten hour shift. Your whole day is gone, and then not only that, you're not going to get the sleep you need. And then so you you know like thank God I have had a loving wife and supportive wife that was able to bear with me when I was dead tired and things like that. And so I would say that, um, having, uh, having my wife being my main support system was huge, but then also staying as strict to that schedule that I talked about earlier as possible.
0: Now, would you ever hop on a trainer? Like, I don't know how much studying you had to do during this time. I mean, I'm not completely well versed into the things that you went through. Okay. Got
1: it. (laughs) Yeah. So the trainer was my best friend and My best friend and my worst enemy, because for one, it's not fun. But if you have a five hour bike ride and you need to study, you can set your butt down on that trainer, put your notes in front of you, and study for five hours. (laughs) And so I would definitely kill two birds with one stone. And I'm also someone that could read or do questions while on a treadmill. So I've done many 20 mile runs on a treadmill.
0: You could read while on the treadmill. (laughs) That is impressive.
1: Well, thanks. But yeah, I, I read quite often while on the treadmill.
0: That's funny. Except my friend Lindsay Hine, who has the I'll Have Another podcast, also runs on the treadmill. But it's funny because she'll take a screenshot of her Kindle every once in a while. <laughs> you know, for you, you might have a textbook, which is a little different. But because her Kindle, she'll like make the font as big as it goes. So it's a little bit easier to see when you're jostling around as opposed to maybe <laughs> having a textbook or some sort of like printed out PDF or whatever you're reading.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely challenges and I obviously cannot do that during speed work or during very hard sessions. But if I'm at a like a easy effort, long workout, I definitely do that. All
0: right. How has your nutrition changed over time and how much of that has been informed by your medical work versus just outside reading and experimentation that you've done?
1: Yeah. So your listeners might stop listening once they hear what my eating habits used to be. Um, But so like in my college football days, all I cared about was being as big and strong as possible and I would eat absurd amount of food. So like it would not be abnormal for me to get say six or seven things off the dollar menu at McDonald's after have already eaten three meals a day, three meals that day, which was like all you could eat at, at our cafeteria and then eat that from McDonald's. And so, like, I didn't care what it was, but I would eat anything and everything and a lot of it. Um, I've, I've done a couple food challenges, <laughs> which were a lot of fun, um, but that was like in my undergrad years. And then, once getting into medical school and caring more about actual fitness and health and wellness and those things, my eating. Habits grossly changed into which now I eat, I'd say 90% whole foods. Um, I do eat a high carb diet uh, to support my um, muscle mass, my weightlifting, and the a lot of endurance sports I do. Uh, But I'd say now it's a lot cleaner and it is due solely because uh, a couple of reasons. One is I think I have to be a role model for my patients. If I am telling my patients to do something that I do not do myself, I do not think that's fair. And so I think I should try to be a role model for my patients. And then also for performance, um, I need to eat to perform well. And so I try to do that as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously with how much you're working out and the time you spend on your feet during the day and the fact that, you know, the, the brain is the, you know, what, what takes up, I think it's like 30, 35% of our caloric energy. Maybe that's not true for endurance athletes who obviously have to use calories elsewhere, but you know, you have a, you have a job that demands you, you know, to be, you know, a problem solver and be, you know, you know, thinking about things and all of that. I can imagine that your daily uh, caloric requirements are (laughs) substantial.
1: They're pretty high. So when I was Ironman training on a easy, um, work day or workout session or training day, I should say, it would be about 4,000 or 4,500 calories. On my hard workout days or my hard training days, it could be anywhere from seven to 8,000 probably.
0: Good God. All right. How is that divvied up within a day?
1: So, yeah. So if I were to do say the uh, like a hard training session. So that'd be like a Saturday. Right. And so on a Saturday and Sundays are always my long training sessions. If work allows, like this week, I'm about to have to do a long training session on a Thursday before doing a night shift. And that's going to be brutal, but just how the cards are being played. But anyway, so like if I did a Saturday, um, I usually would wake up say two or three in the morning and eat about 800 calories. Um, so that would be like, um, a couple servings of oatmeal with a couple tablespoons of peanut butter with jelly or jam. Um, and I would eat that as like kind of a big mash. Um, and then I'd go back to sleep until I wake up at five o'clock and then I would eat again at five o'clock. That could be three English muffins, a couple bagels, um, with some eggs or something. So
0: you'd wake up just to eat and then you'd go back to sleep
1: on big training days. Yeah. I, I do that.
0: Wow. <laughs> Okay, that's a new one for me. I hadn't heard that before. All right. All right. I'm sorry. Yeah, Keep going. Well, and,
1: and the reason I do that is uh and really my food's not going to digest that much in those 8 hours, but if I could spread out say 800 calories 4 hours before the next dose of 800 calories, it sets a lot better for me on the bike than what it would otherwise. And so it just helps me to during my training session. Uh and then when I'm on the bike, I aim for 360 uh grams of carbs every hour um that I'm on the bike and so that would be across six hours. Uh so that'd be almost two thousand calories or a little above two thousand calories. And then with that it's not straight carbs that I eat. I do have some fats and proteins in there as well. And so that obviously increases that up. Um after my long training session of a six hour ride, then I have an hour and a half hour or one and a half hour run. Um d- d- during that time I'll take in about a hundred and probably a hundred and fifty grams of carbs throughout that uh hour and a half. And then after that, I'll take it about 30 minutes of just drinking some electrolytes, fluids, and some cold water. And then I usually have a huge meal after that. That could be anywhere from 1,500 to 2,500 calories. Um, and then I'll eat dinner again that night.
0: Yeah. Um, so you don't have a lot of time to cook. So what are some of these meals that you, that you have that are particularly healthy, that are tasty enough to go back to, but don't require, you know, a huge outlay of time in the kitchen.
1: For sure. So I do all of my meal prep on my day off. So I get one day off a week in residency. Um, So we work six days a week and on my day off, I make sure to do all of my meal prep. And so usually I cook anywhere from six to eight pounds of chicken. Um, I'll cook two to three pounds of pork loin. I'll cook two to three pounds of turkey loin. Um, and I'll cook ground Turkey. Um, and then also in that, not, not every week would be all four of those, but a mixture of those types of meats, lean meats. Um, and then in terms of carb sources, I eat a lot of couscous and I don't know why I just feel like couscous, um, fuels me really well. Um, So I cook a lot of that and it's like easy to make. It takes no time whatsoever. And then also sweet potatoes. I'll cook tons and tons of sweet potatoes. Uh, And then usually greens, I have, we have tons of different cucumbers, lettuce, bell peppers, um, all that in our fridge that's readily available to make salads with and things of that. And then we have Greek yogurt. I do, I have protein powder, which I very rarely use uh, just because I like to eat. Um, So I'd rather get my food sources there. Uh, Peanut butter. I like English muffins. So I love I love strawberry jam with peanut butter on an English muffin. Uh, So I have that. And then we eat tons of eggs. So I'd say that's like my staple. And then I usually cook majority of that on my day off.
0: Interesting. All right, I mean, that makes a lot of sense uh, because you just don't have time to do that every day, uh, especially that sort of caloric load. And if you didn't meal prep, then you'd probably be going back to that dollar menu.
1: I'd be going back to that dollar menu or I'd be passed out because I needed some food somewhere and it wasn't ready for me to eat. (laughs) So yeah. Um, and by the grace of God, I'm very thankful for this, our residency program. So if it was a work day, um, they do feed us lunch, which is a huge help. And it's usually pretty decent as well. So that helps a
0: lot. All right. So you're doing this strong docs stuff. What's that all about? And how does that tie into your other goals?
1: Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. So Strong Docs was a business that two buddies and I started during my intern year of residency. Um so it's our personal training business. I have um I'm myself I'm one of the coaches. Um and then we have Seth Myers who is a chiropractor and then we have Matthew Brockelman who is a physical therapist and we decided to start Strong Docs mainly to help people reach their goals as we are trying to live our life to be role models in the medical field and reach our goals as well. Uh, and so, um, yeah, right now I have a few one-on-one clients that I'm helping, uh, to try to reach their goals. And over the past year, we've, uh, we held a transformation challenge last year. We hold one every year in which we give a thousand dollars to the male winner and a thousand dollars to the female winner. Um, whoever has the best transformation and whatever that means to them. And it was pretty awesome to see some of the results that we had.
0: So are you working with other doctors or you called that because you're doctors?
1: Um, because we're doctors. That's kind of how it got started.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So if someone wants to learn more about that, where, where should they go?
1: Yeah, they could go to strongdocs.org um, or they could also check out our Instagram Um that's just strong.docs. So they can check out either of those. We have like 12-week templates. A lot of them would be for the bodybuilder. Um, I do have a half Ironman program on there, um, but a lot of them would be for muscle building or weight loss. And so that's what a lot of the programs are geared towards. The 12-week templates uh, kind of are set up with 12 weeks of training, um, nutrition advice. You get a nutrition guide. You get access to our Facebook group, things like that. Um, and that's like the 12-week programs. And then there's also an option to do one-on-one coaching with one of the three of us.
0: Sounds good, Tommy. I feel like I could talk to you for a whole another hour. But hey, man, it's <laughs> 30. You got bedtime coming soon. Good luck to you, Phoebe, and the birth of your uh, your new son. You said it's going to be coming soon. Good luck with all of that. And thank you so much for coming on the show tonight.
1: Of course. No, thank you. It was honestly a great honor. And do you mind if I say something to your listeners that I kind of end all of my stuff with? Is that okay? Please do. Awesome. Well, thank you. Um, so for all the listeners, I just want to thank you guys so much uh, for – Um, having me on the podcast and listening to this episode. And I hope you guys enjoy it. And hopefully we didn't jump around too much and that you could take something from this to help you reach your goals. Uh, Something I end majority of my content with, I just want to share with you guys and hopefully it'll encourage you. And so that is that I want every single one of you to know that you are greatly, greatly loved and that you guys are wonderfully and beautifully created and that you guys are capable of far more than you could ever
0: imagine. Thank you again for having me on the show. Well said, Tommy. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Also, congratulations on the youngster. So exciting for you and your wife. Also, thank you so much to our sponsor today. Prevenex, the number one supplement brand that I know and love and trust. And hey, if you trust me listening to this podcast, go trust Prevenex. I mean, all of us should be taking supplementation on some level, right? You can use, you know, Inside Tracker is a great thing to use. Uh, they're something that I consistently use. Um, you know, they've sponsored a lot of these podcasts before. Uh, Rambling Runner is a code to use for them to save some extra bucks. They're not sponsoring this episode, but the reason I'm bringing them up is find out what your body needs. Try to get most of it from food, but also supplementation is incredibly useful, especially in areas that you can't get from food. And prevenex is the brand that I know and love, and I know you will as well. So some really exciting things coming on the horizon for June. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but if you're listening this deep into the episodes because you are you know, a, a regular rambling runner podcast listener, I appreciate you so much for doing just that. We got some really exciting things coming up and I can't wait to share it with you. So before we get there, please share the show with a friend. I said this last week. As much as I love ratings and reviews, feel free to do those as well. The best thing you can do for this show is twofold. To visit our sponsors and use our codes if they're the right product for you. I know they're the right product for me. The second thing you can do, and this applies to everybody, share this show with someone that you like and say, hey, you know, this is, a, this is an episode or this is a podcast that I'm digging, and you should go check it out. That's the best thing you could do for this show. And if you do that, I will be eternally grateful. So thank you so much for listening, and happy running this has been a production of rambling runner podcast this podcast is produced by david margetti of in post media thank you to meta p for the music his song righteous path featuring rex mayhem and chip Fu, is produced by symphonic bang yeah Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my team. I'm trying to show this industry.